You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome to episode 143 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast, and I am the aforementioned Pimp Cron. We are brought to you today by GameMat.eu for pre-painted resin terrain and beautifully painted or printed um, neoprene mats. And also, is neoprene the mouse pad? I think it's called neoprene. Anyway, the mouse pad material. And our beautiful, sexy, good smelling Patreon patrons over at, guess what? Patreon.com slash PimpCron. And uh, if you want to support the show, go over there. Anyway, what are we talking about tonight? We are talking about how Games Workshop needs to redo stratagems and psychic powers because they suck. That's what. We're also talking about a new terrain set from GameMat.eu. It's MDF and it's pre-painted, which is pretty neat. And we're also getting a letter from Thomas, and he is questioning whether or not he needs to get out of the hobby. As for what I've been doing, uh, we are neck deep in my busy season, and let's just avoid that topic altogether. What else have I been up to? Well, in my extremely meager free time, I have assembled a couple Sisters of Battle. I've assembled five Sisters of Battle. And I am struggling so hard with the paint scheme. I mean, struggling real hard. I really, I know it's cliche. I really wanted to do an all pink, like whites and reds and pinks. I'm really tempted to do purple for Sisters of Battle, but I do so much purple. I have a lot of purple armies. My Gene Stealer cult is purple. My Cities of Sigmar is purple. My Stormcast is purple. I just love purple. And there's just so much, you know, there's only so much you can do with purple before it starts getting kind of ridiculous and every one of your armies is purple. So I decided, you know what, as cliche as it may be, I don't have any pink armies. I do have a pink, blue, and white army for Tomb Kings, but this would be pink, white, and dark pink or something of that nature. And I have struggled so hard coming up with a paint scheme. I was trying to use the contrast on the armor, so I I got that Lofus pink or whatever it's called, and I'm sure I butchered that name. And it's like a darkish pink, but it's kind of a medium color, and that's what's really throwing me off, because I was going to use my Emperor's Children pink to be the cloth, and I thought that would contrast well, because Emperor's Children pink is like a hot pink. Well, this contrast pink is not quite as dark as I would like to contrast with the bright pink. So it's kind of a medium pink and a bright pink, and they don't contrast enough for my liking. So I have been repainting my sisters over and over, these couple of models, and just trying different stuff. So I'm try- I tried red armor and pink. It did not look well, I or look good. I tried pink and teal, didn't care for it. Pink and white, which is okay pink and bright pink which I think is what that was my original idea and I think after trying all these different colors I'm going to go back to it because I think even though it kind of blends in together on the battlefield you know what if they're all just pink whatever I'm fine with it Um, I'm just pretty excited to have an all pink army I mean that's I don't know what to tell you so their bolters are white their hair is white their tabard I normally call it a dick tabard but these are sisters of battle so a vag tabard the vag tabard in between their legs is going to be white, and um, the the cloth is a bright pink, and I really like that. So that's what we are doing. Um, you know, I didn't think, though, I didn't think that maybe I should do their backpacks a different color. That might actually be what I'm missing. 
have the dark pink on the armor, the light pink on the cloth, and have their backpacks white or something like that to go with the bolter and the vag tabard and the hair. I might en- I might end up trying to do that. We'll see. But um, I have struggled really hard with this, and I have not struggled with a paint scheme this hard ever since my Tyranids. My Tyranids, I went like a full year and did not have a complete color scheme because I just did not like anything I tried to do with them. And lo and behold, I ended up going back to my original paint scheme with them as well, just like I did with these. I tried pink and yellow. I mean, I was trying all sorts of weird things. Um, So I think I'm just going to stick with pink and white, basically. Dark pink, light pink, and white. I just really wanted for my Sisters of Battle to stay in that red theme, that the whole red family of, of reds and pinks and whatever, and then throw some white in there. But it has, it has been like a full week of me painting and repainting to the point where one of my sisters is starting to lose detail. I'm not thrilled about that because I primed her and then did a contrast and then primed her again and did another contrast. And now I'm going to have to prime her again. <laughs> it's getting kind of ridiculous now. So um, maybe if just one of them is missing a little bit of detail, nobody will notice. Uh, who am I? Who am I kidding? Nobody cares. But anyway, so I'm excited about Sisters of Battle. And when I get some free time, I'm going to go ahead and um, uh, assemble more of those. And I have not decided exactly what I want to do yet as far as my theme to my army. Because like I've said before, I like to have a theme and I'm just going to pick one channel. Like it's all melee or it's all psychic or it's all ranged or it's all whatever. And I just, for um, for my Sisters of Battle, I just can't think of one right now. Um, my friend Eric plays Sisters of Battle. My other friend Andy also plays Sisters of Battle. But I was talking to Eric about it, and Eric was saying that um, sh- pure shooting with Sisters of Battle is a little bit of an uphill battle because you know, I mean, they've got bolters and things, but they're not like fantastic. I know they're shooty tanks, whatever they are. I know they're pretty good, but um, the ec- the Exorcist, I think it is. But um, just I kind of wanted to do more foot slogging than than armor because I have my Imperial Guard army is mostly Lehman Russes. So I kind of like them to be the heavy army, the heavy armor army. And then I want these guys to be something else. So um, we were talking, though, the immolators. I think I might get some immolators and put either the Melta or the Flamer on them, and then load them up with Retributors with Meltas or Flamers, and that could be pretty fun, um, because it holds six people. So I load them up, and and that could that could um, raise some eyebrows. I'm pretty excited for that. The problem is I really like the Repentia. I really like those models, and darned if they're not fantastic with the minus three rend or whatever stupid thing they have. But the problem is, is when I played Eric, he had Repentia, when I play James, he he plays Repentia. And um, we have another player in our group that plays Repentia. And it's like, everybody plays Repentia. And I know, I'm not saying those guys are chasing meta or anything, but I always try to do something different. Because, especially with me and James having the same armies all the time, both of us try to play it differently. And um, so that's why I'm thinking that I'm going to go all shooty. And I don't have many all shooty armies. I usually go melee. Even before Necrons had very good melee capabilities, I still went melee with them. So I'm thinking that um, I'll just keep my shooty armies to be guard and my sisters of battle will be my shooty armies, I think. But 
Anyway, struggling with that, but that's that's what happens. I still have to finish this brutality supplement. Um, work is just draining the life out of me right now. And um, I'm half asleep. I'm actually, half of my brain is sleeping right now while I talk to you. So that's how I, I've developed a shark style of sleep where I can just shut off one half of my brain. Um, so anyway, I'm going to try to get some of this done. I got to finish up the brutality supplement. And uh, that's, that's about it for me. So uh, let's move on with the show. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. On this Tesseract mailbox, we have a bit of a somber message from Thomas. Let's hear what he has to say. Yo, pimp, I am wondering if I'm getting bored with the hobby. I hate to admit it, but ever since my daughter was born a year ago, I have been less and less interested in playing. I have a Slaves to Darkness and a Tau army. Now that limitations have been lifted, I can go to the club with my mates, but I don't really feel like it. I'm tired, and I feel like I have so much else to do. Is this normal? Should I sell my stuff? I hate the idea that I might be dumping the game, but if you can't ever play or don't feel like it, aren't they just taking up space? This is sad to me. I want a second opinion. Thanks for reading my email, Thomas. So obviously this was sent via Pimpcron, with a P, two Ps I mean, Pimpcron at gmail.com, or you can also message me at facebook.com slash Pimpcron, with one P. Um, so thanks for writing in, Thomas. Um, this is kind of a sad message, and I feel for you, because I think we all go through this every once in a while, and there's a lot to, <laughs> believe it or not, despite your short message, there's actually a lot to unpack here. So, first off, you mentioned that you just had a daughter a year ago, and seemingly that was the catalyst that stopped your interest in the game or started letting it atrophy. I don't know what your personal situation is with, you know, a partner or family support or whatever. I also don't know what your situation is with work or whatever. But this last year, even despite not having a baby, if you did not have your daughter, this year has been pretty rough on everybody. And people take it one of two ways. They either get kind of depressed and they don't feel like doing the things that they normally love, or people dive really hard into the hobby because it's an escape and it's something to enjoy. So, um, having a kid, okay, let's ignore a pandemic for a minute. Having a kid is a huge life change, and I'm going to assume this is your first child, but even if it's not, children multiply uh, the struggles in your life. They're expensive, they take up a lot of time, and it's a lot of work and energy and a lot of extra bills, whether it be diapers or schooling or daycare or whatever. And I mean, I know all of that firsthand, so I'm speaking from experience. And you can't feel bad if this game does not take front seat when you've got a, a child that you have to take care of now and presumably some sort of partner, and presumably some sort of work, and even if you don't have another partner in work, it's still, just a child alone is a lot to take care of. So, if you don't have a good support network, such as friends or family, or someone you trust that can watch your children to give you some time off, or whatever, that makes it even worse. So, you hear a lot of people say, oh, you know, we're going to have this baby to save our relationship. Trust me, babies never save a relationship. It only dooms it. And if you think a baby is going to be a little bundle of joy where nothing ever happens and life is the same after having a kid, you're 100% wrong. I'm not saying you can't still enjoy Warhammer or go to the club or whatever, but it is a big responsibility to have a baby or multiple babies. 
So it is not uncommon at all for people to take a year or two off when they have a brand new baby because babies are very time consuming. And if you're working all day and you come home and or you're working from home or whatever, you're busy doing stuff, you come home, you're tired, and now you get to spend time with your children or your child and take care of them and all of that. It's it's pretty exhausting. So I totally do not think you should be beating yourself up over the idea that you are losing interest in the hobby because of everything that's been going on globally as well as whatever's happening in your personal life. Now, there are a couple other situations it could be, is that sometimes people just fall out of favor of the hobby. Like, I've I've known multiple people that have played for five or ten years, got kind of sick of the whole shenanigans, and then ducked out for five or ten years. And eventually, a lot of them actually come back. So I don't think you should be that worried about, you know, being done forever. I mean, once your daughter grows up and you've got more free time, wait till she's a teenager or a preteen or something. She's 10 years old and she's self-sufficient and you're not changing diapers all the time and all that. Then you are more inclined to have more free time and more inclined to do things for you. That's why people where their children, you know, grow up and go to college or start their own life they have the empty nest syndrome and all of a sudden they buy an RV or they remodel their house or whatever. It's because they've got free time to finally be themselves again. You're not a parent anymore. I mean, you're still a parent, but you're not solely a parent. You're free to be Thomas again, you know, after your kids are a little more self-sufficient. So maybe part of your identity is playing Warhammer. And to be honest, you do sometimes have to shelve, depending on your lifestyle, you do have to shelve some of your personal, you know, your personality of being Thomas because you've got so many other responsibilities. So you want a second opinion on whether or not you should sell your armies. Well, if you need cash, then sell your armies. If you don't need the cash, then you might just want to hold on to them for a while and it will either get easier to sell them as time goes on or it will get harder to sell them and then you know that you really are not done with the game. So why don't you wait another year before you try to sell your armies? Now, if your armies aren't painted and they're half-assembled and blah, 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 you haven't put a lot of hobby time into them, then me personally, I'm much more prone to just selling an army if if I, you know, have barely slapped any paint on them or whatever. But if you've actually spent a lot of time on the armies that you're talking about, your Slaves to Darkness and your Tau, then you may not want to sell them right away just on this fleeting one year of not being into it, you know? Um, so I would say sit on it. Treat it almost like a breakup. It's funny because I, um, I broke up with my girlfriend when I was a teenager and I was really upset about it and all that. And my dad gave me some pretty good advice because I had, of course, I had like this, you know, all of our love notes and all of our blah, blah, blah. And he said that, you know, it will get easier to deal with over time. Just put everything in a box and you store it away. And it might hurt too much right now to throw away that box. But as time moves on, you're going to be easier and easier and easier to throw away that box because it's going to mean less and less to you. And your Warhammer army is very similar. Put it away, stick it out of sight, out of mind for a year, and it's either going to get easier to get rid of or it's going to get harder to get rid of because you're going to miss playing the game and you're going to find yourself drawn back to those armies. So that's what I would say. I would not suggest getting a new army or something like that because I don't think that's... That's almost like the having a baby to fix our relationship scenario. 
because now you're going to feel even guiltier for getting out of it because you've invested more into it. So I would personally say just give it some time. Don't beat yourself up about it. And the same thing I always say about this hobby. If the hobby is giving you stress, then quit doing it because it's supposed to be a hobby. It's supposed to be a stress reliever. And it's that stuff I talked about in my article a couple months ago. I discovered there's something called you stress. And it's basically allowing your brain to play so that it realizes that not everything is life and death. If you lose this Warhammer game, who cares? There's no real stakes. And it helps you relieve stress. So hobby should all be about you stress. And if it's bringing you serious stress, then shelve it for a while or do something else. But definitely do not beat yourself up over it. We go through life and we always figure out, we always feel like we should be the same. Oh, well, you know, I liked Warhammer five years ago. I should like Warhammer now. Nah, dude, your your tastes change. Your patience changes. Your free time changes. Everything changes. Your life, we always like to think of our life as this static thing. And then we're all surprised one day when we're old and we're balding and gray. Um, life is constantly change. And there's nothing you can do about it. And sometimes people do grow out of the hobby, but more often than not, I'd say over 50% of the time, they get back into it. So that is all I have to say on that. I'm um, sorry for the slightly heavy topic, but I've, I'm sure you're not the only person that has this problem. And uh, I think ultimately my hunch is, is that you'll probably come back around, give it a little bit of time and you'll be fine. All right. Well, thank you so much for writing in, Thomas. I greatly appreciate it. And thanks for listening to the podcast. I also greatly appreciate that. Want that or want that not? For this week's Want That or Want That Not, I want to discuss something from GameMat.eu. And no, they did not tell me to cover this. I just thought it was neat. So up yours. Anyway, <laughs> so you know Game Mat AU already does the um, pre-painted resin terrain, and they also do the game mats. And I saw this a while ago, and I meant to cover it, and then I just kind of forgot about it because I'm very forgetful. And they actually have pre-painted MDF terrain as well. And you've all see, seen MDF terrain. You know, it's it's all like laser cut, and then you have to pop out the, the things out of a sprue, essentially, and plug it all together and Elmer's glue it or wood glue it, whatever. Well, they've got an interesting thing that they're doing now where they have, it's this, they keep calling it um, uh, Hive City stuff. So I'm assuming it's for Necromunda or something of that nature. But one of them, so they, they okay, I'm getting a, in, ahead of myself. They have several sets of terrain that is pretty neat out of MDF that is unpainted for 75 bucks. And it is a good amount of terrain. It's um like this one I'm looking at here is three different catwalks. They look like they're maybe a foot long. They've got stairs going up to a, a high catwalk and then stairs going down the other side. They've got a bunch of walls that interconnect. They're plus, if you look down on them, they're plus shaped. And they've got walls all the way around. And all of this, it looks like it's designed to be put together. Like you're making a hive. Really, really close together terrain. And I think it's really cool. 75 bucks is super, super cheap for this. Um, and they've got several different variations of it. Some of them are more like tr traditional terrain, the L-shaped buildings and the ruins and things like that. And then they've got the hive stuff that's supposed to be plugged together. I really, really like this. And $75 to me is a steal. But 
speaking of steel, they've got a steel gray version that is um, painted gray. I can't really tell if there's much texture to it, but um, just from the, the picture they have here, but it is gray instead of just the MDF color, which is pretty cool. And they've got both of the variants of the hive things pre-painted gray. So you can just pop it off the sprue. It's already gray. Boom, it's done. Um, but there's one that really, really strikes me. And I really, really like it. It's called City of Steel Rust. And this is MDF Terrain. It's in one of the compositions of uh, one of the other sets. They have two sets. So this is one of the sets with the L-shaped buildings and things like that. But as far as being lazy and not wanting to paint your terrain, um, this is MDF. So it's already cheaper than resin, obviously. You're going to be getting more for the same amount of money. I mean, more board coverage for the same amount of money as uh, Resin Train. But also, this is printed in pretty good detail, actually, of, like, ruins and nastiness, and the floors have, like, little checkered tiles on them, and the walls are all rusty and gross, and I gotta tell you, I am really digging this set. This set is pretty fantastic. So it's $105. All the ones that are pre-painted are $105. The unpainted are $75. But if you're willing to spend just $30 more, I would definitely get the pre-painted stuff. Now, the gray looks like it's just gray. I don't see much texture on that, but this City of Rust um, terrain is really, really nice. And uh, it's just got so... It looks like you've already splotched it and textured it and all that. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty darn impressed with it. Now, the gray looks nice, too. Um, it does actually have some texture now that I'm looking at it closer. It does actually have some texture. But the City of Rust has a ton of texture. It is actually something like you went through and, you know, splotched rust on things and, and corrosion and all that. So I personally, the gray is totally serviceable. I'm happy with the gray. The unpainted, obviously, if you don't mind painting MDF, then that's that's fine too. And it's way cheaper. But this printed rusty city of rust thing is pretty awesome. So I just wanted to bring that to your attention because, um, MDF is cheaper than resin and it's already pre-painted. So you are getting more table coverage for the same amount of money. And now you still don't have to paint it. And it is printed very nicely on there with a lot of detail. So just go check it out or don't. That's fine by me either way. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. Well, looky here. It's time for Real Talk with the Pentcron, and this is where we're at in the show. This is when we talk about the major topic for this episode. And this episode is all about psychic powers and stratagems and how I think GW is doing it wrong, to put it bluntly. This is not going to be so much of a rant as it will be whining? constructive criticism i don't know brainstorming i don't know we'll see where it goes but the point is is that everyone knows what stratagems are everyone knows what psychic powers are psychic powers have taken different forms over the years from the whole what was it sixth and seventh edition with the psychic dice pool the warp charge dice and all of that whole mini game that i absolutely hated prior to that what was it it was just a leadership check i think yeah, it was a leadership check. So prior to that, you had to roll within your leadership, and then you got the spell off, 
and then it became warp dice charge pools and all that stuff, which I absolutely hated. I avoided psychic, the whole psychic phase during the 6th and 7th edition like the plague, because I absolutely hated it. And I found it cumbersome, and I found that it did not really add a whole lot to the game. Then we go into the Age of Sigmarification of 40k in 8th edition, and I'm actually okay with that, where each power has a different warp charge level or casting value is really what I'm thinking of. The word casting value, where, you know, the stronger power has a higher casting value, which makes it harder for you to get that power off, etc. So the leadership of the models no longer matters, where it used to matter completely for psychic people. But all of that said, I think that the current way they do it is pretty darn good. My complaint is actually in the effects of the psychic powers, not really how it's casted. So I think right now they're on the right path as far as casting value costs and, and all of that. I think that's great. I think the Age of Sigmarification, fantastic. But I find when you're looking through all the different codexes, and I have an awful lot of codexes, when you look through Age of Sigmar and you look through 40k codexes, I always find the psychic tables to be extremely lacking. Um, they are the perfect opportunity to really, really change something and make things different. And instead, we usually get stuck with some, oh, D3 mortal wounds. Oh, D3 mortal wounds. Oh, roll two dice and deal a mortal wound for every single point above their bravery. Oh, roll a D6 for every model in the unit, and on a six-up, they take a mortal. Oh, I mean, it's just so stupid. It's, it's so boring and so generic. To be honest with you, I would be totally fine if damage dealt by psychic powers was restricted to smite and arcane bolt i understand that some psychic powers are offensive and should deal some wounds that's fine but what you're really missing out on is the opportunity in psychic powers to really mix stuff up and it in other words like you could have psychic powers do you remember the old taromancy or geomancy what it was whatever it was called in seventh edition they came out with all these extra space marine powers uh psychic disciplines and some of them could actually move terrain, which was really cool. Now, I'm sure people were cheesing that up, you know, how they do. I think I remember a storm surge surfing terrain, where the storm surge back then, you could plant the anchors, and it would get, like, plus one to hit, but it couldn't move. But then you would put the storm surge on a piece of terrain, and the terrain could be moved with the storm surge on it, or something of that nature. And um, there was just all sorts of shenanigans, but... Instead of just doing mortal wounds, what psychic powers, and for that matter stratagems, should be is the equalizer between units, to be honest. So every codex has the units that are good, and the units that are mediocre, and the units that are bad. And arguably, 8th and 9th edition has the fewest number of quote-unquote bad units that they have had in the past. But even so, let's say that there are some bad units in each codex. Well, psychic powers should be able to either buff or debuff or manipulate the battlefield in a way that no unit or weapon can do that. And if you take, like, for instance, I'm just going to use a, a for instance here that is kind of not applicable, but you're going to get the point. So I used to love flayed ones, but flayed ones were pretty god awful for so long. Well, 
now they're pretty good now, but they, they were really, really bad. They were a complete bottom tier unit. Well, if I had some sort of psychic power that I could use to buff that unit, now that unit can be better than it used to be, and now I can get more utility out of that unit. If I, you know, have it in range for the psychic power and have the guy nearby and all of that. Now, I know that psychic, that example is a little weird because Necrons don't actually have psychic powers, but I think you get the point, is that you can actually buff a weaker unit into becoming more utility or utilitarian, and you can make them better and more useful. Now, of course, there's a double-edged sword to that because there are a lot of units that are already really, really good and then if you had some really buffing powers, then you could really, really make them fantastic. But I think that's kind of the risk you run with anything. But units come with their own special abilities and weapon loadouts, and not every unit is made the same. So if you could use your psychic abilities to augment some units over some others, that could be really cool and give you some really, really good tactical choices to make. And the reason why I even bring up stratagems in this is because I feel it's the same way with stratagems. We have so many stratagems in these codexes that only pertain to one unit. You know, um, I'm going to say a Devastator one where your Devastators can do blah, blah, blah. Well, if you could also apply that to other units, let's say... I'm just going to make one up because I don't remember any of them currently, but let's say uh, your Devastators can move and not suffer the penalty to hit with this stratagem. Okay, that's cool, but why don't you do that with just a Space Marine unit, period? Like back when vehicles didn't have the uh, ignoring my the heavy penalty, you could have applied that to them and, and made them better. Or you could have a tactical squad that has a missile launcher in it, and now he's not suffering the penalty to hit, or a, melta, a multi-melta, or something like that. So instead of making the stratagems just pertain to one unit, then I feel like they should just make them generic stratagems, maybe maybe tone them down a little bit and not make them as good as they are currently, maybe, if they're really powerful, and you know that some synergies with some units are going to be really bad. Or, I should say really good, but I mean bad for the game because it's not balanced. I get why they probably do that, and it's because of the potential min-maxing and the synergies. But on the other hand, the synergies of a game are kind of what make it interesting and kind of give you tactical decisions. I would be much happier if we had books full of psychic powers that could buff or debuff units and actually augment how they fight. You know, like, you can't fire Overwatch on the target unit, or, you know, they can't fire Overwatch, or add plus three inches to their movement, or reroll hit rolls of one, or, hey, sixes to hit are an extra AP, or, I mean, you could do a bajillion different things. You know, healing units and bringing models back, or whatever, but then we kind of get stuck with a good you know, one-third to half of them are just like, oh, D3 mortal wounds. And I find that to be a complete wasted opportunity for its psychic powers. Especially being that psychic powers are just rules. There's no models to them. Uh, I'm ignoring you, Endless Bells. There's no models to them. So you, as a game developer, have free reign as to what exactly you do with your psychic powers, because it's just words on a paper. Oh, let me hit backspace a couple times and now change the rule for that power. You could do it. 
you could be you could have them putting up shields and barriers in front of units. You could have them speeding up units or slowing them down or teleporting units or teleporting terrain or ruining terrain or I mean really anything. And um it would be interesting because you could apply that to any unit friend or foe versus oh, I just deal D3 mortals to the enemy, and occasionally you do run into powers that will buff something. But I never feel like they go quite far enough, or they're quite creative enough with it. For instance, I do think that like the base Grey Knight powers are fairly good. Like One, it allows you to see through walls and shoot through walls, astral aim. That's a pretty neat one. That's what I'm talking about. That's the sort of thing where, oh, crap, okay, this power really augments the way I can play. And that's why I often have a uh, a venerable dreadnought with las cannons and missile launcher hiding behind a building for line of sight blocking, and he gives himself astral aim, so he can just shoot through walls. That's pretty cool. But right there, that's an example that it gives you an ability that you normally couldn't do and a new way to play instead of just D3 mortal wounds. Um, hammer hands, I really like as well, with the uh, plus one to wound rolls in melee. I think that's fantastic. That's exactly the sort of thing that I'm talking about. Gate of Infinity, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Now, of course, they've got things like Purge Soul, which is exactly the culprit I'm talking about. When I say, oh, D3 Mortal Wounds, oh, the number of Mortal Wounds over their bravery, uh, it's the same stuff over and over. Um, or, you know, like sometimes, let's talk about Age of Sigmar for a minute, the Beasts of Chaos can do that, I forget, it's called Stranglethorn or something, where they target a terrain piece, and then all the enemy units within three inches of that terrain piece take D3 mortals. Uh, admittedly, it's still D3 mortals, but it's pretty cool that it's featuring a terrain feature, and there's something to it. Now, preferably, instead of D3 mortal wounds, I would prefer to do some other effect to that unit, such as units within three inches of that terrain feature get minus two to their movement, or have to re-roll successful charges or something, you know, like they're being tangled up in the vines versus the vines just hurting them. But I think you get my point that there are so many creative avenues you could go with that and really manipulate the game and move terrain and and all that sort of thing. Um, you could have psychic powers that give you plus one to the initiative roll the next turn or just literally whatever. And um, you could swap two units locations would be really cool. There's all sorts of shenanigans you could do. More than just D3 mortal wounds. And that's the exact same thing I'm saying about the stratagems. The stratagems are like, oh, you can only use this on devastators. Oh, you can only use this on veterans. Oh, you can only use this on terminators. Like, oh my god, seriously? why don't we, if they're so powerful that you have to limit them to just one unit can use this ability, then why don't you soften the rule just a little bit, but then just say a Space Marine unit, a Necron unit, whatever, and let the cards fall where they may. And let's just say you add a stratagem to add six inch to your range, okay? Well, you could put it on a warrior squad, and that could be pretty darn cool. Or you could put it on a... Annihilation Barge, and that would be pretty darn cool. Or, you know what I mean? You could target a unit and, and heal one hit point, or heal D3 hit points, or just whatever it is. And you could be repairing your ships, or you could be bringing back Necrons, or you could be whatever. I just feel like 
there are a million things you could be doing, and the reason why I bring them together, stratagems and psychic powers, is because I think they're both a failed opportunity. There are some pretty cool psychic powers out there, and there are some pretty cool stratagems, but the psychic powers suffer from too many random D3 mortal wound powers, and the stratagems suffer too many from being far too specific. So whenever, you know I have a lot of armies, so every time I start playing an army again after a couple months, I have to look back through the book and see what their stratagems are and all that. And notoriously, I'll admit that I just forget to look at the stratagems altogether. And what I'll do is while I'm playing the game, like if it's my opponent's turn, then I'll look at my stratagems. But ultimately, I have to scan the stratagems and go, okay, not taking that one. Okay, uh, I can't take this unit. Or I didn't take this unit, I should say. Oh, this one's for a Vindicator. Well, I didn't take a Vindicator. Oh, this one's for a Devastator Squad. Oh, well, I didn't take a Devastator Squad. Oh, this one's for a Psyker. Oh, I didn't take a Psyker. Oh, this one's for... I mean, there's very few of them like Veterans of the Long War that apply to a lot of units. Most of them just apply to one unit. And I think Veterans of the Long War still only apply to infantry and bikes, I believe. It's not even vehicles. But so what? Give it to a vehicle. Veteran of the Long War. Look, your gunners are really good at shooting. Give them plus one to wound. Like, who cares? I just feel like the argument that some people might have, the reason why the psychic powers are kind of uninspired, and the reason why the stratagems are far too specific, is for quote-unquote balance reasons. And first off, I think both of us know GW is not entirely concerned with uh, with balance in their games. I think we both know that, so let's just drop that facade right now. Secondly, I feel like if they are too powerful, then you're the game designer, GW. You can just make them less powerful, but more applicable. Then you have not, you know, five stratagems you can use with your army. Now you have all 20 stratagems you can use with your army, and they may not be quite as powerful, but they're so much more versatile. So couple your stratagems with your psychic powers and you could have so much shenanigans. Just make sure that it's not overly crazy. I'm not saying this unit can't die. I'm not saying that or this unit automatically hits all of its hits. I'm not saying any of that. You just soften it enough that it could be applicable to anybody. And then you could take that lesser unit, but you know that you can buff them with a stratagem or whatever. And oh, guess what? Now you've got units that on paper, without the stratagems and the psychic buffs, on paper this one unit might be kind of meh, but if you go, oh, you know what, I could add plus one to hit on them, or I could, you know, sixes to wound, or minus one AP extra, or whatever it is, you can do some synergies now that change how you play the game. And also, stratagems and psychic powers can only be done once per... Well, the the psychic powers can only be done once per turn each, so that's going to limit the spam and the cheesiness of that, and the stratagems are only used once per phase each, so that also limits the the spamming of that as well. So you can't even say, oh, well, you know, people would just be spamming these powers and stratagems. No, they won't, because if you're playing a match-play game, they can't even do that. So, to be honest with you, I don't see any argument at all why they don't make more universal stratagems, even if they're a little weaker and make much more creative and interesting psychic powers beyond random amounts of mortal wounds. Wow, that is so, so original. Also, arguably, when you're talking about the mortal wounds, arguably, the entire army 
is designed to deal wounds. They may not be mortal wounds, but all your melee units punch people in the crotch. All your shooty units shoot people in the ear. That's what they do. They're dealing damage, but they're not manipulating the board. Your psychic people are the prime opportunity to really manipulate the game in a really cool and tactical and interesting way versus just dealing more damage. Like, ugh, drives me nuts. So, like I said, this is not entirely a rant. I just feel like it's such a lost opportunity to do something really interesting and creative. Oh, well. Thank you for listening. Thank you for GameMat.eu for supporting the show. And thank you for my beautiful, sexy, good-smelling Patreon patrons for supporting the show. I will see you next week.